This is the Collective Nightmares podcast. I am Marshall Smith. And I'm Laura Patterson. And we are sociologists who talk about horror movies. My interest in horror movies comes from a skepticism and a concern that conformity and obedience is scarier than that which is supposedly deviant or, or weird or atypical. And I, uh, very unlike Marshall, I suppose, have always liked horror because I really think it's through our most horrific experiences and horrific traits that we have the greatest need and the greatest ability to connect with each other. Marshall and I also both have our PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado. And tonight we watched Bird Box, mostly because apparently it's popular. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) And we wanted to... We do try and watch horror films that are popular enough to get recognition in the mainstream because horror still is a is a outsider genre. And we also watched Bird Box because the past several episodes we have done less well-known films, Cam and The House That Jack Built, and then we watched In My Skin, Dans Ma Plu, something. Yeah. None of which I think are very popular films. And we do try and balance between, I don't know, we, we try and do a range. And so, also, I think oh yeah, popular please. movies are interesting because of what they say about the society that made it popular. So even if I know with this movie in particular, both of us went into it with somewhat low expectations for it to be good. But even in that case, it's interesting and fun to see things that lots of people are seeing because maybe it says something about the society that we're living in now. I, I say that, and then I actually like the movie a lot more than my expectations led me to think I would, but... But we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. The title of the podcast, Collective Nightmares, is ultimately inspired by a Robin Wood quote. Robin Wood is one of the first folks to really to really lay out and develop the idea that that horror films are the collective nightmares of a society. And by looking at horror films that gain traction and popularity in a particular era and in a particular place. You can work backwards from that to see what the anxiety and the concerns and the fears of a society are. And so I appreciate, Laura, you pointing out that it's important to see what gains traction as popular horror films because those are arguably more useful or indicative for working backwards to figure out something about the society writ large. When we watch horror films that some much smaller audience watches and is interested in. We have a, that's a different conversation, but I don't know how much we can, we can look at one of those films and, and work backwards to a society or a group. We can't, it's harder to generalize because it's a smaller group that finds it really interesting. And it it may be people that find it interesting, not because it taps into some cultural fear, but because who knows? People are they're super into horror movies like we are, and they're not really concerned with what's going on in society. So yeah, that's a that's an excellent point. All right, so Bird Box, the summary from IMDb is five years after an ominous unseen presence drives most of society to suicide, a mother and her two children make a desperate bid to reach safety. Directed by a woman, which we always appreciate. I always appreciate Suzanne Beer, P I E R. Written by Eric Heiserer and based on a novel by Josh Mallerman. Spoilers. Yeah, there will be spoilers. By all means, please watch Bird Box. It is on Netflix, so it is pretty accessible to be able to watch. There will be spoilers, absolutely, for Bird Box. It comes at night. Quiet place. That That might do it. 
And so, by all means, please watch those films if you haven't already seen them before you before you listen. You liked it? I liked it more than I expected to like it. <laughs> I see. Although, there are two things I want to lead with. One would be that conversation about, yes, I liked it more than I expected to like it. The other piece is just, as happens with Martyrs often, I would like to just talk about what a great movie It Comes at Night was, which is not relevant <laughs> entirely to this. It is relevant to this discussion, but it's just so much of a better movie about the same stuff. And so, if you're going to see a movie in this general category, go see It Comes at Night, because I thought that was an excellent movie. And this movie was not nearly as bad as I thought it would be. I mean, it no, it wasn't. It was, it was fine. It had there are things that we can talk about, and there are things that were interesting. And I actually expected there to be almost none of that. Sorry, Bird Box, for my really low expectations, but it was pretty all right. I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy it as well. It, it does pretty immediately beg the comparison to Quiet Place, A Quiet Place, and It Comes at Night. I would be happy to watch It Comes at Night again and, and do an episode. I think we should, because it was so great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and particularly for how often you, you like to reference it, I think it would be good to... I remember liking it. I don't remember being as blown away as you were, for whatever reason. I, it, But I did remember liking it a lot. I felt like they came in with a clear ideological point, and they just nailed the argument. They used the entire movie to like talk about one thing, and they did it so effectively, and it just... It was great. Let's not spend the whole time talking about how great It Comes at Night was. This was better, though, than A Quiet Place, I thought. It was... I, my overall opinion would be, like, solidly mediocre, but it's all right. I don't have big complaints. I have some things I liked. I, ha I think I have one giant complaint, but I will say that I enjoyed the film. I appreciated it. We did talk before we sat down to watch this about how it would be fun to just watch something that was really bad and we could just rip apart. Sometimes that can, that can be kind of a, a fun thing and we can still have really good conversations about why and how bad it was. It's your complaint and, that it wasn't bad enough. <laughs> no, no, that's not my complaint. It, it, it was. It was entertaining. It was good. It was well done. It was technically sound. It was an interesting premise. Do we want to just launch into my complaint? Let's start with your complaint. Okay, my complaint is, I think the film would have been better if they would have just done it chronologically. Why? So I think it would have been better if they would have just done it chronologically, because I think showing us that she ends up alone with the kids takes away any suspense that we have of who's going to survive and who's going to die. It would be like, what would it be like? It would be like going into Halloween originally, way back when, and the first thing they do is cut to the end and show us that Laurie Strode's the one who survives, and then cut back. And then I'm like, well, I don't care about any of these people, or I don't need to care about any of these people. And like, it's sad, but it's not. So it's sad to lose these folks, but I know they're going to die. So like when it happens, it doesn't really, it doesn't impact me in the same way that an unknown death would. I mean, the sister is, I think, the one key example of I still had I had a thought there that okay maybe the sister would survive and the sister was going to go to her ranch with the horses and so and she would be taken out of the equation but she could still survive so when she dies is killed or, or whatever you want to call it I was oh wow okay that was a stunner and then after that I was like well all these people are fucking dead anyway <laughs> And I don't understand why they did it. And so the more I thought about that, that's really what I sat and thought about most of the movie. I was like, why would they not just present it chronologically? And the only thing I could think of was it would be like too traumatic. And Netflix didn't want to put something out that was, or Sandra Bullock didn't want to be involved in something that was so dark and upsetting. And It's interesting that you say that because I actually felt like that, added tension in some areas of the movie because I I would notice that I was getting kind of sucked into this like domestic experience that they were in and knowing that it was going to end and knowing that there was going to be some kind of catastrophe sometimes made it feel more ominous or made it feel scarier when little things would happen like wondering oh is this going to be it is this going to be it I'm not saying that that's a better choice I actually think you make a really good argument but I did notice that throughout the movie that I may have been kind of bored is exactly the right way to put it but 
too complacent about what was going on if I didn't have the knowledge already that there was some sort of bad thing that was going to happen eventually. By bad thing that's going to happen eventually, you mean... What, what do you mean? Because, I, I mean, my understanding... I mean, the bad thing was what started the film. and it, And then it was just a matter of grinding down... I just mean that the little happy household was going to break down because it it could have felt like a movie that was about how these people are going to get along together, given this outside tragedy. And when you know that things are apparently going to go very badly because most of the people now aren't there anymore. And, you know, just just having that knowledge in advance sometimes added tension. But I totally appreciate what you're saying, actually. I think that you make a good argument because it is true that I, I would often think back to like, oh, well, we know that she's going to be the one who's left. And when they were having their babies together, it's like, oh, well, obviously, okay, here's what's going to happen. See, you don't get too attached to the other woman or, you know, you just know she's going to end up with this baby. And so when she does, it's like not surprising. It's just, oh, here's now. Now is when it's happening. So I think, I think you're right. I appreciate that you at least hear my argument. I still felt tension. I still, there was a still fair amount of tension. I just don't, I just think it was less than what it could have been. And I think that's particularly true of the stranger that, what's her name, our characters are Mallory, Tom, Douglas, Jessica, Cheryl, Lucy, Olympia. Olympia is who I'm thinking of. When Olympia lets in Gary, that in particular, I thought, well, he's obviously, I didn't, I didn't, I never let my guard down that he was a threat. So that's my big complaint. That's really my, my primary complaint. The only other thing I would say is I I do think Sandra Bullock did a great job, but I just, I don't dislike Sandra Bullock. I don't kind of want to say this. I I do think it's unfortunate what she's done with plastic surgery. I understand that they kind of worked that into the character. I, I just feel like if she were that unconcerned with connecting with people and understanding people and she was raised in such a raw unemotional environment why why would that character ever have gone through and had plastic surgery i mean she can barely connect to having a baby like where how would she she isolates herself she lives in a she closes off to the outside world like i how would she ever do that i, I just don't see that character doing that so while her performance was fine the very fact that it is visible that she's had that in her life, to me, broke her character immediately. So I guess I have two points. <laughs> Maybe we can't well, just spend the whole time <laughs> shitting all over the movie. <laughs> no, I, I have two things, I, two avenues I'd really like to walk with it. And I think they're both interesting. So I'll throw them out there as topics. So you can pick which one you like. One, why it's better than A Quiet Place. Because I think there are several reasons why it was a lot better than A Quiet Place. A lot better. And two, there may have been a point they were trying to make, an ideological point. Maybe at, right at the end, I was like grasping at straws and I thought I might have found one. And so I'd like to pursue both of those. Ooh, both let's, of those do the, let's do the better than a quiet place first. I think that's great. Okay. <laughs> well, at some point, oh, I guess we got to just look now. I would like to know if this is getting the same sort of recognition or, or applause that quiet place was. Do you know? I don't know. I'm going to guess not, but I don't know. I feel like A Quiet Place was such a phenomenon, and I haven't gotten that sense with this. So A Quiet Place on Rotten Tomatoes has 95% critics, 83% audience, which is still just astounding to me. Bird Box has 63% critics and 66% audience. So it's somewhat less. Interesting. Okay. Okay, so I'll I'll throw out a short list, and you could add to this list, because I'm sure there are more things. The characters actually had some depth and were interesting as opposed to a quiet place where the interpersonal dynamics everything was so bizarrely superficial that it was it took you out of the movie because it was implausibly superficial like i remember the whole tension between the guy's daughter thinking that he doesn't love her or whatever and it just totally fell flat when you've got a handful of people hanging out in a room together all day and like they haven't had these conversations it lost me completely in a quiet place in this i felt like you actually had interesting, relatively deep, even I'm not saying we saw a ton of them, but, you know, the characters were developed, I think, with an eye toward making them actually interesting people that you might want to see in a house together. There was very notable attempts at inclusion in terms of 
who they had in the household and whether that be along racial lines or sexuality lines or, you know, the gender roles were not entirely sort of strictly what we would expect to see. And they treated pregnancy a little bit differently. They treated motherhood a little bit differently. You know, they just, they, they, I felt like walked a really nice balance between doing that and also maybe not like overdoing it to the point where it didn't feel realistic or something you know it just it felt like they actually made an attempt to be very inclusive and I appreciated that um the overall like arc of the story I thought was actually a lot better like there were better moments of tension than there were in a quiet place because a quiet place became a crappy zombie chase scene I think throughout most of the movie like okay be quiet oh is somebody gonna drop something and yes you can do that for a little while but not that long and that was the bulk of A Quiet Place, I feel like, time-wise. Like, that was just much of what the movie was spent on. In this film, they explored several little avenues of interesting dynamics that happen between people or... Not even only between people, but largely, I guess, when they're in this kind of environment. And so I think they actually spent the time in the movie... They limited the chase scenes to... Which made them much more effective. And, And they spent that time not super deeply or fully exploring things, but at least raising interesting questions. You know, when she's in the the boat at the end and has to think, okay, what child is going to, is going to look. And that's, it's, it's an interesting moment. You know, when different characters are interacting or talking about their lives together, it's like you get little interesting glimpses of two characters you might care about having a meaningful interaction. And that was almost entirely absent in A Quiet Place, which was huge. I can't get over the marker board or whatever it was in a quiet place still with the be quiet. Whatever that stupid thing was. <laughs> the worst part of the movie. That is my mo- my strongest memory of a quiet place. The thing that's going to sit with me most was that terrible marker board and whoever thought it was a good idea to put your dumb two rules of your movie on a marker board with these people who've apparently been living with this problem for how many years. Anyway, um, it didn't do any of that. I don't, I don't entirely appreciate how it dealt with its sort of creature sort of thing. I was confused a bit about the rules, and sometimes it felt like they didn't even care entirely about the rules, but at least they didn't beat you over the head with them like that, which felt, it just felt smarter, it, all around a better movie. That's what I got. What do you think? Yeah, I can add to that, or I can work from that and move forward to, I would agree that there was more that they could engage with here, and they did that if for no other reason than by making some of the people who saw converts, then it made us be scared of and worried about other people at a whole nother level. I mean, Quiet Place, there was always sort of this fear of, here, you'd be needed to be scared of other people because you always need to be worried about other people. Maybe they'll take your food, maybe they'll assault you, whatever it is. But to have them be complicit with, we're going to, force you to see and that's going to kill you that really leveled that up and that was that was very smart that also maybe gave him a little bit more opportunity to discuss or to present some some kind of uh, bigger issue or question i agree with you the whiteboard but what i also still remember about quiet place and being so aggravated was how they would have decided that they're going to get pregnant three years into this (laughs) fucking silent death world or whatever and so this at least i mean it's this simplest way to work around that but they did it which is fine of we're just gonna make her already pregnant when the world goes to shit which they totally could have done in quiet place so i appreciated that it was like okay well she's pregnant then that's fine we know that we don't have to we know, okay, she's pregnant already, so we don't have to accept this pretense that she did something totally irrational after the apocalypse had already happened. Did um, they make a decision to get pregnant in that movie? I don't remember. Or are you just are you just taking the fact that she got pregnant? They didn't as a decision not to get, get pregnant because I mean that happens all the time. First of all, I don't know if you can entirely it, entirely follow that. It does, but okay, right. Except for the fact of the matter, except that you're living in this. Did they have birth control? <laughs> Well, there are other things you can do than... They tried the natural method, maybe, and it didn't work. Or no, you can one do... Night, there are other what? variations of sexual pleasure that don't involve penis and a vagina. <laughs> All right. We don't need to spend too long on this point. But. Well, there are. If you're living in a world where your baby is going to be marked for death from the second that it is born because it cries, 
and that's also going to endanger you and the rest of the people that you know, you may have to deal with a different form of sex. <laughs> you make a reasonable <laughs> argument. Or you may have, or you may have to wait just like you do with food till or pop tarts or whatever until you find some condoms. Whatever it is that irritated me, obviously didn't bother you as much. Uh, I don't think it bothered anybody as much. Have you seen the arrival? No, I don't think so. Okay, I have another baby issue with that movie. So moving on to reasons why moving this is on. better. Than a right. Place. Sorry, let me grab about children. <laughs> what podcast is this? So anyway, so this was better because it handled that reasonably. People did generally smart things. You pointed this out as as much as anything, but um, I also think this was better because they didn't show the creatures. I agree with you. Maybe some of the rules weren't perfectly clear, but I mean, we particularly go back with it, with that. And even with A Quiet Place, I mean, the, the design of the creature was very cool and it was innovative and I appreciate that. But once you've, but once you've revealed it, you lose impact. And I mean, we've talked about that with it. It's like, it's never going to be as scary on screen as what you can imagine in your mind. Or you have to do something like I was going to say, like Alien, where you really only reveal the creature at the very end. And it's still incomplete views. And uh, and Alien is an exception. It's arguably the scariest creature that's ever been put on screen still to this day. So I'm going to make an exception for that. But But still... And then there was something else I was going to say about why this is better. Oh, I was going to say just in a lot of what you trusted the audience more to figure things out. They trusted the audience that they don't need a big marker sign to tell you whatever dumb shit that you should have figured out after an hour and a half of watching the movie already anyway. And that definitely did improve the film. I, I agree with you. I appreciated the inclusion. And, oh, and I don't know if this is exactly why it was better than A Quiet Place, but... Back to what I was saying before about knowing that everyone's dead or is going to die, reducing tension. The most tension in the film was when she was on the river because we didn't know who was going to survive. We don't know if the kids are going to survive. We don't know if she's going to have to sacrifice herself to save them. And so when it comes to the choose which kid, that was the uh, climax of the film, really emotional. At least it was the climax of her character arc was she's that was when she she realized that she wasn't she was connected to both of the kids even though they really set it up before where where the where boy says oh i'll do it and she's like no where boy says i'll do it and she says no and then we figure okay girl is not really her kid not biologically anyway so is that just where she's going to do? And so when she says, no, I'm not going to let that happen either. I'd rather us all, I guess, risk us all together. It's all or nothing or whatever, whatever it is. So when she risks everyone, rather than having one of the kids be subjected to seeing whatever this is, it's the moment when she, when we know, okay, she's now bonded. She's She's established connections. She has this feeling. And that's reinforced, but from that that forward, it was... But that forward, the only real tension was, are they going to make it to the wall or not? Well, I guess the other piece was, are they going to make it to the wall and have it be some horrible compound in like 28 days later? (laughs) (laughs) Or 28 days, sorry, not the sequel. Which is the first one? It's just 28 days, and then 28 days later is the sequel, right? I'm not sure, actually. I think it is just 28 days. Anyway, 28 hours? No. Damn it. Anyhow, I, I did get to a point where I thought the people behind the wall are going to be okay people. Just because I didn't think the movie was going to be that dark. Which would have been... Which movie? It Comes at Night. Yeah. I just, it just wasn't that dark, you know? I agree that it wasn't that dark, and I also think it wasn't that tightly planned. They didn't have... A clear point they were driving at with that arc. At least I don't think they did. I think they may have had something there. I think we have something little to talk about, but I don't think it was clear enough. And I feel like usually when a movie is going to go super dark for an ending, and It Comes at Night kind of did this, but it often is doing it to drive home a point that they've crafted throughout the film. Because there's a little bit of a bold move, and I just don't think they... I didn't think they had that sort of plan. 
in this film. I think mostly they were telling a type of story that we had seen before in a way that we roughly had seen, but, but they made some interesting updates. And overall, I would say it was better than a lot of the movies I've seen like this kind of movie. And the characters are more interesting and it was technically well done. And they did a pretty decent update, but still solidly kind of just, like I said, solidly mediocre. I didn't think they were going to go for something that, that gutsy. Right. And I think it would have been ill-advised if they had, because they didn't have a real plan. It would just be weird. It would just feel like, oh gosh, why'd they do that? Yeah. I can't imagine a producer greenlighting or or an executive greenlighting this film if at the end it was like, oh, also the kids are going to (laughs) die. And I agree with you. Maybe that's that's a bit of why that works out is... If you're going to defend making a movie that dark, that is arguably going to lose audience and and not have that feel-good moment at the end that presumably sells more tickets than despair and, and pessimism, as a creator, as a writer or director, you probably have to be able to say, no, this is why. They ha- it has to end dark. It has to be this way because we're trying to present this overall piece so if we want to talk ideological point, was it more than just the kind of uh, like you need to keep, keep, don't stop believing? <laughs> just trying to think of the word. I was going to say keep on believing. It's, it's like you need to hope still, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think that ties into her character at the beginning, sort of, but not entirely. It ties into the title of Bird Box and the birds being trapped in their box. And I'm wondering, does it tie into the whole overall creature thing so this idea that like they had to have how do i say this they had to be blindfolded they weren't able to actually experience the world because all they were trying to do was survive right and she kept having these conversations throughout the film about survival and what was his name tom was saying like well it's not just about surviving if you're not living then what's the point of surviving and this comparison between like if if all you can do to get by is basically not experience anything in order to just make it then making it doesn't really count And I felt like they were trying to do something with that, with, especially with the ending, like somehow they were tying all those pieces together. I I don't know exactly, but the fact that then she names the kids at the end, she's invested because now it's worth being invested. I feel like there's some little piece of connection I'm missing. Maybe the piece with trying to connect it with the actual creature. Yeah. And then why, why the creature for most people is, uh, I'm going to kill myself. And for some people it's, it's so beautiful, I can't look away, except if I'm going to pull the wool from the eyes of somebody else so that they can see. It was a polar polar reaction. Love it or hate it. Well, and was it a true thing that, I forget his name now, the guy that ended up being the bad guy in their little house, did he, when he was saying Douglas. the thing about the mentally ill people not oh. being affected by it or whatever, was he telling the truth? Because also when they were in the grocery store... Um, now I don't remember the guy who died anyway, was talking about his friend who was outside and saying, oh, he's a little crazy, but, and so I thought maybe there was actually something to that or supposed to be something to that, that people who had some kind of mental issue somehow weren't affected. I agree with you, particularly because we have two separate instances of them mentioning mental illness as the folks who are enthralled with seeing and are compelled to force other people to see. But then you also have people who are blind who just can't see it, and they're not affected either, which is different. They're not affected, right. as opposed to people who are affected in some kind of positive way. So what, so assuming that that is correct, assuming that if you're mentally ill beyond some threshold, you then become a convert, if you will. If we accept that as true, then what? So is seeing the creature somehow supposed to be, like, metaphorically akin to experiencing the world? No, right? Because then you just kill yourself. So, no. I just felt like there was something there with, like, the fact that they were all blindfolded and the birds are in the box. And then they get to the end and the birds get to go free and they're able to take their blindfold off. And that coincides with her, like you said, don't stop believing, like, buying into that argument of Tom's. And it, it... well, maybe not. Maybe I'm I'm just piecing together something that's not really there. Because they weren't really experiencing the world. I mean, they weren't really outside the compound. I agree with you. I think that I think that the film had these ideas in it. I just don't... And I think what you've sorted out is very much right. I didn't, for whatever reason, as, as obvious as it is, I didn't put together this metaphor of they are also birds in a box. 
I think they are, and the kids certainly are. Oh, right? d- absolutely. Oh, they totally are. I, I just didn't actually put that together. So I guess the birds went from their cage into a box, and then they, the people went from a box into a cage. Cage is definitely better, right? <laughs> kind of, yeah. You're but, good of you. But as far as that story Tom was telling, it was actually a lot of what he was showing them as the ideal, right? Because they get other kids to play with, which gets pointed out. They get the sunshine and the trees to climb or whatever they were talking about. They actually get those things. So in a way, they've they've arrived. You know, I don't know if they're still considered being in a being confined, even though they are. It's so much better than it was before. They have a society kind of they can like grow up and have friends and fall in love and whatever. I mean, kind of at least right more than they could before, for sure. I I agree that that is not supposed to be a cage at the end. That is supposed to be free. And so if the birds are the ones who can caution and warn them about the danger, and that is why they're valuable, and she is... Who is she? She is sort of... She's... I don't... Is she then some sort of bird, too? She's also so focused on... You're going to be... Okay, so she is a bird, too. She she is warn the kids. Kids have to survive. Alert them to danger. Keep them alive, which is what the birds are doing. And then she isn't flying or living. And so she gets to be free as well. And there's three three birds. There's three... There's her and the two kids. Yeah, that's all great. That's all fine. And we don't really ever see Tom connect with the birds, do we? No, but she has a transformation where she starts agreeing with everything Tom said, right? Because she's in the forest with the girl and she's saying, I should have, I shouldn't have been so strict. I should have let you play. I should have, you know, I shouldn't have told him to stop the story. And she goes on later to tell the story. And so, no, but I feel like he was there to be a counterpoint. Like she was kind of the main character with the kids and then he was there. More so just to like ideologically play off of her. I don't know. Yeah, he was there to, to give his monologue about... You, you you have to live, you can't just survive. And I guess to tell her that her father, she had basically become her, become her father. Not in the abusive way, but in the sense of all you're doing is surviving and being practical. You're not enjoying anything. Uh, you're not thriving in, 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 the, in any sort of sense there. So then the creature, I, I, still don't, I still don't think we answer the question of if we accept the fact that if you're mentally ill, you become a convert to the to the creatures what does that mean for our argument i don't think our argument is solid i think you're right that it's kind of there and kind of not because i'm feeling like we're struggling to piece it together more than we should because the creature if you if you have to be blindfolded to survive the creature and then you're not experiencing the world the answer isn't take your blindfold off because then you'd kill yourself the answer i guess the answer could be become mentally ill because then you would take your blindfold off. Metaphorically, you would not die. You would be happy. But that doesn't make any sense, <laughs> really. Right? So maybe it's just not quite there. Because either way, you lose your life. Because it seemed like the people who had con- converted, all they did was... Uh, at that point, they weren't living either. They were so overwhelmed with what they saw that all they did was drive around and look for other people to convert. Right? So far as we know, I mean, they, there wasn't any other piece to their lives that was, okay, we're going to convert more. Uh, and so maybe the, uh, maybe the, the best sort of argument we could pull all together is, is there needs to be, ah, I don't even, it's, it's, what I was thinking, I don't know how to say this clearly. There are a no, there are a couple instances now. We've got the what happens to people when we see the uh, creatures. We have um, we have a primary character Mallory who is completely unemotional and uninterested in emotionally connecting with other people. We have Olympia who has been coddled and cared for and nurtured. And as those two, they're the two pregnant women, and she immediately, after giving birth, dies. She knows she's 
soft, as she puts it. And so the only real argument I would see there is is there has to be some sort of like gray area or there has to be some sort of nuance. You can't go all or nothing, which is not that great of argument because to me, to me arguing that you can't live at either extreme, you have to live in the middle. It's just not, it's, it's a, it's a path of, which I guess is actually, okay. So that's okay. So if what your argument is, is that you can't live at either extreme, it has to be somewhere in the middle, then it's a path that is only revealed by the limits of, of, uh, of what you can't do. It doesn't give you a, a specific direction. It just tells you what the limits are of what you can't do, which I think you could make the argument is sort of like the blindness If you don't get to see where you're going. The only thing you get to do is walk till you run into something and then move and try a different path. And you have to just keep fumbling forward until you get somewhere. And that's okay. Yeah. I think the tone of what you just said exactly sums it up. Like, that's that's all right. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that's pretty as close as we're going to get to really tying it together super well. And, and it's okay. I mean, again, compared to leaving a quiet place that everybody loved, I feel like there's a little bit to think about here. And there were, they did some interesting things with like the dynamics of like, oh, do you let in the outsider or do you not? And is that smart or is that callous? And, you know, so again, sort of talking about these varying paths and not knowing which way to go. I, I don't think there's something super tight to pull together, I guess is what I'm saying. But I, I do think that, yeah, I think what we've kind of come at here is probably, probably as close as we're going to get. I, I agree with that. There's a potential that I don't think they realized where they could have said, they could have made some sort of larger metaphor about if they would have connected a piece of somehow at some point the fumbling through, because for me, the fumbling through and just the, if we're going with this metaphor of, okay, when I hit an obstacle, I'm going to go a different way and find something else. That to me really does seem like the surviving which is what Mallory is doing and which is what I guess the film is arguing against. You have to have some joy and some fun in this. If they had some moment in there where they got to like an open field or they got to, uh, I mean, they couldn't do this, but this is the only thing I can think of right now. They get to a, a, an open field of snow and you could just tell the kids, you don't take your blindfold off. But you you can't get hurt here. You can just run around and play. You're not going to run into an obstacle that you have to work around. You can enjoy being sightless. You can enjoy and just have fun with the with the blindfold. You don't need to be able to see here to to live and have fun and enjoy. Then I think they would have tied the film together in a way that you know what I'm saying. Kind of. Although when you first started talking about stumbling, I was like, oh, that's really cool to tie into everything else that you've been saying. And I was actually seeing it exactly the opposite from what you said. So like that sort of stumbling around and not really knowing how things are going to go or what you're going to experience, but just kind of figuring it out on the fly is in some ways the opposite of the survival thing that she's doing of being always prepared and always planning and always ready and always we're focused, we're focused, we're focused. And I picture them getting to the grocery store and just kind of holding hands and like, I don't know, we'll just figure it out. That, that seems a little bit something less planned or, or something. I mean, I see what you're saying also. So I, I don't know, which maybe again, just ties back at, it's like, it, it, there's something there. I feel like is what I'm getting most out of this. Mm, the only thing that I can say to, to what you're talking about is, it wasn't always her planning or it was, it was more about the fact that, that it was never fun for them to go out. It wasn't always, there there was never any joy in it. It was always for, it was always for a survival. There wasn't, there was, there was never a moment of joy when they were blindfolded. And I think for me, that would have presented an, an, a counterpoint of surviving in the sense of, even if it's spontaneous, even if it's on the fly, it's still encountering obstacles and challenges and overcoming them. It's not, although, wait, they did have, no, they didn't. So when she does the, the echolocation, which they know they just threw in, they never came back to that. 
which that's kind of disappointing. If instead of that, they would have done like a, we're going to do a hide and go seek, except you have to stay blindfolded and we're going to click and made it in a game. So there's some fun in it. It's not necessarily what you're, what I hear you saying is that, is that because it's not always planned, it's not necessarily always just the survival, but I still don't think it's a joyful I'm just coming on board with what you're saying. I think that makes sense in terms of this overall argument that that you're arguing, which kind of may have sort of been their point, kind of maybe, that you have to be somewhat moderate. Yes, you need to be worried about protecting yourself and whatever, and there there are real threats out there, but at the same time, you need to still have fun and enjoy yourself. And if that means a little bit of risk or a little bit of taking a break from planning and preparing for things to be terrible, then okay, because otherwise you're not living. And so you're saying putting that sort of metaphorically into the movie in terms of what the what they do with the kids. I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. That that would be that would tie that that argument together. I still God, I wish we could tie it to the creatures and the rules of the oh, creature, yeah. which I don't think quite is gonna fly. It's not like we'll have to take your blindfold off. That doesn't work. But but no, I think that's cool. I really like that, actually. Yeah, I, I missed that the first time around, so I appreciate you elaborating on it more. I wouldn't have gotten that if you hadn't said all that you said. So don't give me all the credit. <laughs> so I want to say that if instead of Tom's story, if what they had had was Tom was teaching them echolocation through a hide-and-go-seek game, and she got upset with him because you can't teach them that this is fun... This is their life. It depends on it. Then you would have really tied that all together. And that scene wouldn't have been a throwaway, that echolocation. And then we would have seen him steer her to like, and then they could have had their same conversation. And he could have said something along the lines of, I, uh, I learned this as a play in a game as a kid and it saved me in the army. And even though it was fun or because it was fun, I learned it that much more profoundly than anything I ever learned. All I ever learned from when I got spanked was that I just, all I just remembered that I got spanked. I don't remember what I did wrong. Something along those lines. You know what I mean? I agree. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Right on. No sociology in this episode, which is, that's fine. That's fine. I'll I'll just, I mean, this is minor, but I'll say that in terms of it being popular and seems Hmm. like a lot of people are watching it and also being i thought noticeably inclusive that that's nice to see and that's something that doesn't you know as far as being indicative of of the society that's watching it that doesn't happen in a lot of films i thought it stood out really in that regard right from the beginning when the the man whose house they were at had a husband and nobody blinked at that everybody just talked about it as though that was just a completely normal dynamic and I, i thought that was notable. We had an interracial couple. We had, again, women right at the beginning dealing with pregnancy in a way that was not stereotypical at all. And those things were very notable. Absolutely. Older woman with a younger man. Can't tell you the last time that's as unusual in a film as fucking anything. Well, she even said her character says. So it wasn't just that the actors were different ages. She says, you know, I would have been your babysitter. So we have it in the narrative that she is an older woman to him. So yeah, that I did think that at some point. I was like, oh, well, way to go. So yeah, that, that is great. And then I was hoping that they might go somewhere with uh, something more about, about knowing. And there are certain things like you can't ever unlearn or you can't ever unsee. And I thought that could be interesting, especially for modern society where we have still anxiety about the, these horrible things that you can see on the internet or or in society or whatever and there's things you can't but that's fine they didn't go that direction i do i do still wish there was something more with with what it meant as the creatures i'm trying to think i feel like there's a movie from not too long ago that had sort of a similar pregnant uh, pregnancy sort of a sing, singular sort of a similar premise yeah, so this is... Uh, I'm not going to do spoilers. I'm just going to read the synopsis from IMDb. This is The Signal from 2007. A horror film told in three parts from three perspectives in which a mysterious transmission that turns people into killers invades every cell phone, radio, and television. And I feel like they 
they did some. It's been a long time since I've seen that. It's probably been since it came out, so ten years. But there was something about they had some sort of explanation of whatever was in the signal was so like overwhelming. It's what it drove people to to kill other people or whatever, and something like that. There was, but there was no, there was nothing in this, and it's harder to do that because if you bring up some something, you have to manage it a lot more carefully. Okay, a last thing on a vaguely sociology-related topic. We've been talking a lot lately about horror films and who they decide to demonize, and sort of who they let live and who they don't, and what that says about kind of conceptions about normalcy and and who's right and who's good. And in this film, I thought they really didn't do that in stereotypical ways. And so we're n- we don't really have anything to comment on, but I think that is actually comment-worthy that they ended up having a woman survive. I mean, it was it was an interracial couple, and then a woman survives on her own, and she was not kind of standardly motherly and she was really perceived as the one who was going to survive you know and the other woman that fit maybe a more traditional definition of what a mother or a woman should be was like hey will you t- please take my kid because i think you're gonna t- you're, you're gonna make it and i'm not and that was interesting and different and compared to like the slasher movies that we've seen and things like that you know it was notable the people who had sex there were no repercussions for their sex i mean everybody kind of died but whatever like they would they didn't stand out in some way for that yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was the white man who comes in and ends up wrecking havoc. That makes me think that there is maybe some sort of moment going on where, because it does make me think of Jamie Lee Curtis in the new Halloween, of that harder character, less traditionally feminine, older woman who is real practical and capable and accomplished. And then I, I just want to mention that so that peppermint came out that we never went and saw. That's this. Uh, that's a Jennifer Garner lead um, woman sort of, not sort of, woman revenge, non-rape revenge flick. And that that genre has exploded with men in the last I don't know a few years, particularly since John Wick. There's there was definitely something before John Wick though. Man on Fire, I would say, maybe started it, really. Anyhow, it is now seemed to be coming with women. Uh, Karen Kusama, who we we saw? Yeah, who we saw, who did Invitation. Her newest film is another, uh, is all I know, but is another non-rape revenge with Nicole Kidman as the lead. So there is some sort of mini sort of subgenre happening or some sort of moment happening with women who are capable of violence, who are... I think it's really interesting because they do still have emotion. And I appreciate that, that they... they I do feel like there's enough difference with at least with Peppermint and then with this. The other one isn't out yet. Destroyer. That they're not just mapping the same... They're not just mapping genre uh the the tropes of taken and john wick in man on fire and putting a woman in that lead because they there is still there is still femininity you know she has the moment where she breaks down in this film where she breaks down and cries over her loss of tom and you can tell she's struggling because she's not typically a very emotional person and she's trying to contain it probably for the kids as well but she really does have this emotional breakdown. And there are just some other smaller things that that I, that it isn't just a one-to-one where they've taken a, oh, there's women actresses too. We'll just put them in the, and you know, we'll call it taken with a woman, which is essentially what they did with Ghostbusters and what they've done with a few, I, what I would say they did with Ocean's 8. And it was, it's not good because it's, all you're trying to do is make a men's movie with women and... Of course, that's not going to work. You need to do something to adjust it for the people who are in the movie and to adjust the story. That was a lot more than I expected to say. Sorry. (laughs) I think we can wrap. Okay. Okay. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram. That's typically where we also announce upcoming and newly released episodes at Collective Nightmares. On Twitter at Collect Night, C-O-L-L-E-C-T-N-I-G-H-T, Collect Night. You can email us, Marshall at CollectiveNightmares.com, two L's. 
or laura at collectivenightmares.com. If you will subscribe or particularly if you would review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and send us a screenshot or something, we will send you swag. And horror films are our collective nightmares. That was loud. <laughs> I'm testing. Are we recording? I don't know. Speak. <laughs> right. <saying>. Yes. <laughs> I'm really bad at coming up with things to say on prompt. So okay, does it have to be louder? Ideally. Um, I did I tell you that on Christmas Eve. Um, well, this is probably how loud I would normally talk. You want me to be <laughs> super animated? Yes, because I'm trying to get a maximum. We were out at dinner, and I dropped my tooth on the floor on accident, and the waiter came and stepped on it, like, immediately, and it shattered into, like, three pieces. And we had to go home and glue it. <laughs> you glued it? <laughs> we glued it. How much are they to Still replace? This one. A couple hundred dollars. couple so hundred dollars. Yeah. She told me it was going to be <sighs> nine months optimistically, possibly more, like, over a year until I have an actual tooth, because... It's gonna be growing. terrible. And I have such. Oh, they haven't looked yet, but she was like, "You just had such a hard situation." So that stinks. Yeah, that does indeed stink. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Welcome this. <laughs> In a, you know, and not you know. God, let's just stop with you know. It's already. <clears throat> making a movie that dark that is arguably arguably are you god arguably going to lose audience and like you need to keep 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 uh keep don't stop believing